Open a channel. This is Captain Rob of the USS Accord, and you're listening to Driving Trek. Welcome to Episode 5 of Driving Trek, a Star Trek podcast I record from my car on my work commute. It's been a, a little bit since I was able to record. I worked from home a few days, had some stuff going on with the family, um, but hopefully I am back. Uh, there's a few things to report from on the news front that I can think of, uh, probably old news for a lot of you, but I wanted to make sure I cover uh, things that happened at Star Trek Las Vegas. Still not happy that I did not go. Uh, I'm planning to go next year. We will see if it happens. Uh, Got to find the right the right time to, to be able to, to make it work. So not much of news came out. It's not like it was the same amount that came out of San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, we did find out a little bit more about Lower Decks. Uh, what I learned about that was that the ship that these people are on is going to be a California-class ship, which is different and new, and that their specialization is going to be second contact, so they're not the first string that makes first contact with new worlds or civilizations. They're second contact, so that should be interesting. Uh, other tidbit that was uh, released there, I believe, was that um, the uniforms that they're wearing were actually uniforms that were designed for Star Trek Generations, but they wound up not going with that. They wound up going with the, um, the similar Deep Space Nine uniforms that were happening at that time to kind of bring it all in line. So I think that's interesting. And then you kind of have different uniforms for different class ships and things like that, which is being introduced on Discovery. So that can, that can be part of it too, maybe. I mean, we know that between Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, space station wear was different than starship wear. Uh, or uniforms, so that that could be a good reason for that. Now there's precedent for that, which is interesting. Uh, that is all that I can remember about that that I think came up. They did show um, one of the clips, not a clip, but the when they were showing the characters again for who's going to be on lower decks, they did have one that was slightly animated with a blink, like their eyes blinked. It was the Tawny Newsom character, I think. Um, that was the big deal that San Diego Comic-Con didn't get a blink you guys got a blink so a little bit of something but not much uh, the only other thing that I think really kind of either slipped or came out was that I think for Star Trek Picard Jerry Ryan doesn't show up till at least the second episode I think they said and I think it was a Riker directed episode or a Jonathan Drake's directed episode uh, that's that's my own slip sorry so that'll be interesting. Still very excited for all this stuff. Haven't heard much since then. Did go online and buy some t-shirts. I think StarTrek.com was running a deal. So I got my Star Trek Picard shirt. Ready to wear that. They have a really cool Visit Rise shirt that I got. That I posted about on my, on my uh, Facebook and my Twitter. I was wearing it the other day. And somebody asked, where's Rissa? So then I was kind of in the conundrum of explaining what it was. I'm like, it's another planet somewhere else. It's from a TV show. Oh, okay. You know, got to think of the right thing to say. Um, I could always go with it's in the South Pacific. People don't know what's out there. But we'll see. I prefer the, the actual definition that some people gave me uh, on Facebook when I posted it and that kind of thing. So we'll see what I say when people ask next time. But that was kind of interesting. 
it puts you on the spot, right? And you gotta decide whether you wanna be a nerd or not. And you gotta just own up to it and tell people what it is. Uh, that is really it as far, oh no, for the news. So it looks like CBS and Viacom are gonna come back together, uh, which they've been talking about for a while. So it looks like the movies and the TV series will be under the same roof again. Don't know what that means for anybody or anything, but we'll see. Um, it could be good, could be bad, should be good. Hopefully it'll allow them to, to do some stuff that they, they wouldn't have normally done before. Uh, there was some teases at, um, at Star Trek Las Vegas also of potential Pike series, but nothing has really come of that. So we can only hope. That is all I can think of for the news. Oh, and then the, when they did announce that Star Trek, uh, was it San Diego Comic? I think they announced it in between, maybe. The, um, the Chateau Picard wine that's coming out. So apparently Chateau Picard has been a thing. There's a real place in France that has been, been, um, been making wine for years. That is Chateau Picard. So CBS made a deal with them to redesign a label to be able to repackage it as Chateau Picard like it is from the series. So they're having a special coming out with that and then a United Federation of Wines. Uh, and somehow I talked myself into buying the two-pack. So when that comes in, which I think ships in September, uh, I have to decide if I'll open it. Uh, but I might give that a try and then we'll do a little review episode. I don't need it. I rarely drink wine. But for that, I had to buy it. Uh, the same way every time I look at it, I really want to buy that 10 forward vodka. The bottle that they have is really just an awesome. I like vodka, but I won't sit and drink a whole bottle of it, so I hate to buy things just to sit on the shelf. I'm trying to declutter, but then they have all this great stuff, and it's really difficult. Uh, so that is all for the news that I can think of. Um, I don't have a um, coconut cruise control segment this week. Uh, they did have a couple episodes come out, the Trek Geeks. One was followed from STLV. Uh, so we kind of covered anything major from there, but it was really good. It was the state of Star Trek. I liked that episode. And then the last one that just came out was part of their Women in Trek series. So they went over Majel Barrett Roddenberry, uh, which was really good as well. Uh, nothing to really add to either of those. Uh, Jim did come out with a new Trek ranks, though. So I do have a Rankin while riding segment. So the latest episode that they had come out was uh, Top 5 Pets. From Star Trek. Uh, I'm not that much of a pet person, but I went through a list of what I think would be the coolest. So at number five, I have the SETI eels from Wrath of Khan. Five words. Of course these are pets. Hashtag, they wrap around your cerebral cortex. So that's fun. Number four, maybe I'll do the five words and a hashtag first. Prepare Warp's favorite egg dish. Hashtag, delicious. It's an Owan from Times Squared episode, season two of Next Generation. Riker has Owan eggs. We never actually see the animal. But I said, you know what? Has pretty good looking eggs. Worf likes them, they're tasty. Let's have that as a pet. Number three, five words. It's a jungle out there. Hashtag a sick bay or a zoo. And this is just Phlox's sick bay in general. And it's from the episode of Enterprise, A Night in Sickbay. He's got a million animals. Half of them secrete different things to help you with your medical problems. And half of them are pets. 
so that was kind of fun. I didn't want to go with the specific bat that he had flying around. I just thought everything in general was good. Number two, five words. I cannot stun my cat. Hashtag Jordy Solutions. It is Spot, and the episode I picked is Force of Nature because that's the episode where where Jordy suggests maybe stunning him would work. That's fun. And number one, my favorite pet that I think there is five words. Primate Riker is hungry boy. Hashtag safe seafood. It's Livingston, and it's the episode from Star Trek The Next Generation is Genesis, where everybody is de-evolving. I think Livingston is underrated. They never even name him in the series, right? It's it's just the fish that's there, and he's kind of the... He's mentioned a few times, and on that episode, I think it's the one where Riker's trying to bust in when, when they find him there as a de-evolved primary. That's one of my favorite episodes, even though a lot of people don't love it. I don't know what it is. I just think it's fun. So that is my top five pets. So that is for you, Jin. Sir, I protest. I am not a merry man. For this week's uh, main mission, I would like to talk about uh, the latest book I read. So I made my way... I So last time we talked about the first book in the Typhon Pact series. I took a break from that because the, the John Jackson Miller... Enterprise War novel came out. Uh, so anything tied to Discovery I've been reading as soon as it comes out, I like to stay up to date on it. Uh, I feel like even though it's never been completely admitted that it's really part of the canon that goes along with that show, which I like the continuity of everything. Uh, and I will tell you that there will be spoilers that go along with this book, so if you want to read it, uh, I would go read it and maybe not listen to the rest of this. But I really enjoyed it the way that it dovetails into the continuity of where Enterprise was during the Klingon War it is really amazing. They did a really great job. I think the level of access that these authors are getting to the actual writer's room and the set and that kind of thing is, is amazing. It really helps to make these novels much more like realistic as opposed to being in, a, in almost a separate uh, novel universe. So it, it, was, it was really, it was a good book. I enjoyed it. Uh, I would recommend it if you've, if you've watched season two of Discovery. I think it makes more sense. If you haven't, you could still read it and then watch it, but it, it kind of fits in nicely to, to what was happening. So I will account what I can from memory in general, and, and then we can talk about some of the connections of continuity that I think was really interesting. So they're in a, a region of space called Pergamum, uh, where it's bunch of nebula and that type of thing where they're supposed to be exploring. Basically, the, the beginning of the book, they get their first message from Starfleet saying, we're at war with the Klingons, please don't come back, we'll handle it kind of thing. Uh, so the first thing Captain Pike does is turn the Enterprise around and go back. So they go through the first couple chapters uh, of them trying to leave this area. There is another ship out there apparently that is gunning for them. So there's actually one point where a photon torpedo or some sort of torpedo explodes behind them. They're not sure what it is because they're in a, this area of space where there's all kinds of instabilities. So they keep going, they make it out of the area, they get to the edge of the area, and then they get a message from Starfleet saying, we see you left, what are you doing? Don't come back. So Captain Pike has that discussion. He gets directly ordered back into the nebula, uh, apparently, number one had to do something that would indicate to Starfleet that they were leaving 
as part of her duties. So she did that. Uh, so Starfleet knew as soon as they left that, that area of space that they could contact Captain Pike and tell him that he can't come back. So he turns around, they go back, they continue their mission. So the rest of the story is all about that. They get mission briefings uh, every so often from Starfleet, essentially saying the same thing. War is going not great. Please still don't come back. Um, so they're in this version of space, this region of space, and they get to a point where they find a planet. I believe it was called Susquitaine is what they called it. So they were going down there, studying the planet. They sent almost all of the science folks down. They were, they've been there for months. So it was kind of a place for shore leave. So everybody was down there, at least the people that could at least do some studying. They go down there. All of a sudden there is a reason for the Enterprise to kind of visit the other side of the planet. So there's explosion, some sort of disturbance over there. Uh, these aliens that kind of want to get the people that are on the planet set off these explosions on the opposite side of the planet to drive the Enterprise away to go so they go see what's happening and they come back around and they capture basically the entire science staff of the Enterprise. So by the time the Enterprise figures out that it was a decoy and they make their way back around their people are gone and they have to figure out what what to do next. Uh, I believe that at this point they also wind up getting um, attacked by the aliens. So they go through and the aliens attack them and they wind up actually messing up the Enterprise pretty badly. To the point where um, the ship actually has to separate. So they think that the there's going to be a warp core breach. So all the engineering staff is basically in the star drive section trying to fix it along with uh, number one and everybody else is in the saucer section and they decide that there's not enough time they need to do an emergency saucer separation uh, and they split the ship in half which i don't believe ever happened in the series it on that on that um class of ship it's more of an emergency thing than it is on the enterprise d where you could do it at will this is you kind of you blow it off and then it's real work to get it back together it's not made to do that they separate the ship, star drive section tries to move away, and the saucer section tries to move away, so that way when it explodes, there's no problem. A good number of the crew is left on the star drive section. I think it was 99 people are there, and 79 people end up on the saucer section uh, that could get out in time. Uh, so they get attacked, they're still getting attacked. The saucer section gets knocked out of way, like gets knocked out of the, um, out of the area. Uh, the star drive section finds a nebula to park itself in. Commander Una, that's her name in here, is number one, is able to get the ship back together and at least stop the warp core breach. And they spend what is basically months in these different places um, trying to repair the ship while separately things are going on with the crew that was captured from the planet. Uh, so we'll flip back to that with the rest of the crew. So Spock is kind of the... Um, the front man of who we're talking about uh, that's been captured. Basically what this this group that's called the Boundless does is they go around capturing other aliens, they knock them out, and they are basically enlisting them to help them in their fight with someone called the Rengru. So they get st stuck in these battle suits 
that I, that I mentioned are big mech suits, like a mech warrior type thing, that can basically sustain them, protect them, and control them if necessary uh, to make them do their bidding. So if these people don't actually want to help the boundless, they can be controlled. So there needs to be a person in there, but apparently they can make you do things that they want you to do. Uh, but they want you to obviously participate of your own free will. So at the beginning, everybody is, is to, or uh, the majority of people we know at the beginning are together. So Spock is with Connolly, uh, who's the one in science officers. And they're, they're trying to obviously escape. There's no way to escape. They try to resist. They find that it's useless. Uh, they kind of wind up having to play along uh, to get with these people and, and help them in their fight. Uh, so they get deployed to different planets where they're forced to fight these these aliens. Uh, it seems to be one of these kind of wars that they're in that's continually a stalemate. Uh, they don't really understand each other. Spock tries to communicate with these aliens, the Rengru at the beginning. Uh, they don't answer. He gets in trouble for doing that. Uh, and they wind up removing him kind of from the front lines to put him uh, more of in a science role. Uh, so they wind up spending time just earning people's trusts and playing along until they find the right time to, to make their move. Uh, at the end of the day, they're there fighting for almost a year uh, with these with the Boundless, uh, the whole crew. Flipping back to what's going on on the saucer section, they're stuck in, I believe, what is basically a gas planet, a gas giant like Jupiter is. Uh, they're flipped upside down. So the top of the saucer section is kind of on the surface of of the gas, uh, which is very difficult to flip something over. It's similar to like water, uh, but it's even more, it's more dense the way you'd have to flip the ship back over. So they spend a good number of months getting the ship repaired, the saucer section at least, until they come up with a way uh, to, to try and flip themselves back over at the very least. Uh, what winds up happening is the, um, the saucer section ends up there because the Boundless find it and they go and try and board it and Spock is a member of the boarding party because he's trying to help them by by negotiating with the Boundless to save the crew that's on there. If he gives them the ship, they can save the crew and they'll let them go is the deal that he makes. Uh, that's not what he necessarily intended to do, but they wound up attacking the saucer section uh, which is what caused it to kind of spin out and land on this gas planet. Uh, and at the end of the day, the um, the Boundless don't take the ship. They wind up fighting with the Rengru, who try to take the saucer section. At the end of the day, nobody gets it. Nobody ends up on there. But um, Spock and a bunch of the guys get thrown off of the hull of the ship when they're trying to get onto the saucer section. So Spock ends up somewhere else because he winds up kind of loose in space in his mech suit, which can sustain him. He ends up on another planet, which is not that far from there. And the saucer section, which is damaged, ends up on the uh, the surface of this gas planet. Uh, so they wind up being able to con or Spock ends up contacting them once he's able to kind of hack the the battle suit comm system. Uh, so he's able to get in touch with Captain Pike, who's on the saucer section. Uh, they talk about what's going on. He brings them up to speed on everything, and they come up with the plan to try and flip the saucer section back over to start with. So they go to work on those repairs. Uh, they work that as hard as they can. Eventually, 
again, it's it's months or at least weeks that they're they're doing this. They're able to flip the saucer section over, and, and they come up with another plan on how to take off because the saucer section really doesn't have anything other than thrusters, uh, or I think there's an impulse engine on the back there, but it's not meant for vertical takeoff. It's more meant for horizontal. So they have to figure out how to kind of use that to to take off from this planet. So they build up speed and they kind of try to change the, the 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 degree that the ship is laying in the in the gas to kind of get to the point where they have a breakaway speed where they can get away, which they do. So they take off from the planet. They're on their way to go find Spock. Uh, he is on this other planet. He's doing his science duty. He's he's exploring, and from there. Uh, we flip to the star drive section, which is again still um, still getting repaired. Uh, they end up with a a Rengru boarding party that they're able to repel, except they're able to capture one. So they capture one and put it in the brig. Number one goes down to try and understand it. They're all trying to figure out what it is, what it does. It can't communicate uh, the same way that everybody else can. So what they wind up doing is trying a bunch of different ways to communicate. None of it seems to work. Uh, they believe that perhaps the force field is preventing it, the way that this creature might communicate. So number one lowers the force field and tries to have a conversation with this thing. And it winds up attached to her. Uh, it goes and apparently it, it sticks its, its kind of arms into the back of your neck near your spine and kind of clamps around you almost like a like a headpiece and then number one is out I think for a while and then finally we cut back to it at some point later where she wakes up and she's actually able to communicate with the alien that's attached to her uh, they are uh, a species that actually is it needs like a human host to live with where it wants to that's all it wants in life is to have like a human host like that where it can help it actually winds up giving you you know a little bit more of an ability as a person uh, can keep you a little healthier that kind of thing uh, so they are working on solving their problems and getting out of of the nebula they're in they need to finish repairing the ship so it can move uh, but number one is able to communicate with them better and actually they kind of have like a a hive mind type thing where she can communicate with all of them so it takes her a little bit of time but she's able to communicate with them where they actually wind up going the Rengru that are not with them she can help them go and kind of capture the saucer section and they guide it back to where the star drive section is where they can put it back together so the crew winds up all back together in one piece uh, later on in the book the whole ship which is good uh, the um, they find out that the Rengru and the Boundless is part of a the same planet. They evolved in history uh, on the same planet, five different species. So think very Zindi-like from Enterprise if you're thinking about it that way. Uh, but then there was a point where somehow they lost track of each other and they went to war because the, the Rengru wanted to, to meld with the, the, other, the other bipedal species on the planet uh, to have that host to be able to live with and they didn't like that so they've been at war this whole time over a misunderstanding basically so the rest of the book is kind of the number one 
and, and Pike planning to get everybody together in the same place uh, on the Enterprise and trying to explain taking these groups to the home planet of everybody, which is what they've always wanted to get to, uh, but they've always been pushed back by the Rengru uh, to actually sit down and have a conversation and explain what's going on and say, you know what, you just don't have your history right. They, It's part of the same species. All they want to do is be a part of you. It, it, it's a big misunderstanding, essentially, where you're allowed back to the home world. If you want to live there, you can. This is how the people are living there. Some of them are living like that, but they will not meld with you if you, if, if you don't wish it. They just want to communicate, and this is how they're able to communicate. So a bunch of the Boundless are there. Uh, some of them agree to go back. Some of them agree they're not interested. Uh, and the book kind of ends up where where they've kind of settled the whole thing, where, you know what, everybody understands what's going on now, where they communicate across the, the everybody, and, and all the people that we've, we've taken hostage to fight in this war will be let go. So, so they let go of, um, of the rest of the crew of the Enterprise, which all is still alive, shockingly. Most of them have been put in service kind of not on the front lines. They've been put on service in the back lines uh, or on science and technology, that kind of thing, because that's what they, they're able to do. Um, and everybody's kind of happy. And then at the end of the day, they wind up leaving the way that they were originally going to leave after they've explored the, the area. So... I'm sure I missed a lot. Uh, there are some other um, continuity connections I want to kind of talk about. Uh, one is when Spock is on that planet um, by himself, uh, I believe it's an ice planet, he winds up leaving the battle suit because he, he just can't survive in there any longer because he's running out of the resources that can only last for so long. And that is where he is visited by the Red Angel from from season two of Discovery. And at that point, they do a mind meld, and Spock is learning all of this crazy future knowledge that he can't seem to control. And when they find him, he's kind of out of it because he, he's getting all this, this future knowledge and almost alternate timeline knowledge that the Red Angel had that he was getting in order to hopefully help. I guess the Red Angel allowed the, the mind meld to get, to get that information. And this is the starting point of what is driving him crazy. So he is able to see the seven signals in what he learns from the Red Angel. He winds up kind of getting himself together to help the, the Enterprise uh, reconnect and, and come up with this plan to, to stop the whole the war between the Boundless and the Rengru. Uh, and at the end of the day, he it kind of is left with him in this place where he needs to go get help, right? Which is kind of how season two started, where he went off to to a facility to get help with what was going on because he just couldn't process it all. So this explains that. This also explains why the Enterprise is so damaged and they basically have to limp back uh, after the end of this, this year that they've spent away during the war. So it covers quite a bit of, of all of that, uh, and it introduces Nan, it introduces Connolly, uh, which we do see in, in Season 2 of Discovery. So all in all, I would say it pretty much is in line with everything. It's still not 100% clear. I mean, the, the reason that Admiral Cornwell gives Christopher Pike as to why they didn't want them to come back 
was because they were trying to save some piece of the Federation should they lose the war. It's still not quite clear. I guess that's still what it is. Um, but um, that's that's where, where we ended up uh, at the end of it. So I would say all in all, it, it dovetails real nicely into season two of Discovery. Um, really, really enjoyable. It was, it was a quick read once you got into it. I will tell you that I really, I'm not into original series novels as much as I am into um, next gen and beyond, but uh, I can get into it uh, when I think about the characters from Discovery. So it might be the beginning of being able to think of everybody that way. So we'll see if I can get into some of the original series novels. I, um, I have a bunch that I bought. I might have mentioned this, but every month they run specials on the, the Star Trek ebooks from Simon & Schuster. So if you sign up for their, their email, you can go right on Amazon every month. And there's a bunch of books that are 99 cents each. So I basically just buy every 99 cent Star Trek ebook because I read everything on my Kindle every month. Um, so I have a crazy library of novels that I can read as I get through them. It tends to be a lot more original series, so I haven't gotten through them mostly yet. Uh, but that's how I purchased almost all of these, the Typhon Pack series. Um, the disco novels I've been buying as they've come out because I want to read them when they come out. But for the most part, the, I get them during the 99 cent sales, which is a really good deal. So anybody that, that is interested should look into that. Um, but some of them I, I buy, like when I did my, when I finished my Voyager rewatch and I read all the books that, that continued that afterwards, I wound up buying a bunch of those because I wanted to keep going into the newer ones. Um, but I try to go through the 99 cent books as much as I can, because why not? Um, and I like having them on my Kindle. I have them anywhere and I can read them anytime. So anyway, that was my tangent on where to get good deals on Star Trek eBooks. If you still read print books, can't really help you other than the, the secondhand stores for books or have a lot of good deals for that. Um, but I'm an electronic reader at this point. So I recommend The Enterprise War. I think it was really good. Uh, I would I would say that it, it, it's a nice uh, companion to Discovery Season 2. It kind of gives you some more continuity. It gives you more Christopher Pike, which everybody seems to want. Uh, so I would go check it out. So that is all I have for this episode. So I will tell you that you can contact us uh, on Facebook at Driving Trek. On Twitter, I'm at Driving Trek. Uh, you can email me at drivingtrek at gmail.com. There's a group on Facebook that you can join if you want to talk uh, about all things Trek, uh, where we want to keep it positive. Uh, and we can also talk about suggestions for future episodes. Uh, and that is it. Please like, rate, and review us. That's how people hear about it. Um, I don't know if this concept is going over with people. I have had some downloads. Uh, I enjoy just talking about it, so at least I feel like I can get it out. So I'm gonna keep doing it for now, whether people will listen or not, and we'll see where it goes. So with that, I will come back to you next time. And until then, please observe the warp speed limit.